Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 94. As always, we are sponsored by GatheringMagic.com and CoolStuffInc.com who have partnered with us to give away $25 gift certificates for free. Now, if you keep listening until the end of this cast, you'll find out exactly how you can win that and we'll go over who won this week. Or you can skip to the end of the cast. Or I can finish the plug. With a sweet 25% BIOS bonus and free shipping on orders of $100 or more, CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now, as you may have heard, we have a special podcast emeritus or guest. I don't know what he calls himself. He used to be on our cast, and then he went on to the greener side of the fence. I, I built this cast from the ground up. He'd probably be I, an alum would be the best way to describe it. I like that better. Douglas Johnson, a brainstorm brewery, I came up with everybody. For this cast, I made the email. I made the Twitter. Okay, a brainstorm brewery as a host. And I guess yeah, he's right. And I get more respect here too. Why don't I just? Why did I ever leave? We're also joined, of course, <laughs> by Travis Allen of MTG Price and MTG Fast Finance. Hello, how are you guys doing? And Edwin of Kerwan's Game Store. And where in the world is ed.com? Back in New York. Did somebody Back actually home. own that? I should probably buy that, actually. <laughs> and I'm Jeremy. Um, yeah, we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, first off, Masterpieces continue to go ballistic. Basically paid for Dead's, for uh, Doug's flight to Amsterdam. Basically paid for Ed's flight to uh, vacation to Sydney. And basically paid for Travis to buy more hipster IPAs. So, uh, uh, pretty good. IPA drinker. Stouts. Barrel-aged stouts are worth that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. My bad. Well, they're also more expensive, so it really just it fits in better. Well, speaking of more expensive, expeditions and invocations are starting to disappear as well. We've People seen days were going go- so crazy over those at Hartford. It was ridiculous. Yeah. We've seen days go from $50 to $190. We've seen Force of Will go from $140 to $200. We've seen Aggravated Assault start to trend up. Containment Priest <laughs> just went crazy. Uh, Loyal Retainers has not spiked yet. Good job, Jim, who will be on the cast later. And yeah. I kind of regret selling that one to him because the second I sold it to him, I was like, man, I should probably put one of these in Avison. And then now I don't have one anymore. Yep. Uh, but basically, a rising tide lifts all boats. And Tabernacle has continued to shoot into the stratosphere. A lot of other reservist cards are going up. Drop of Honey disappeared from the internet again. Can I? Can we cut pause for a moment? I try not to encourage or acknowledge, but I cannot believe that you were going to talk about Tabernacle and did not have a lands pun in there somewhere. I made it through we're the entire cast last week without zero puns. No puns last week. I remember. But there was just... no pun November in April. It just seemed like such a setup for you, and you didn't take it. It's, I don't know, just surprising, I suppose. Yep. Um, it's just interesting that uh, Invocations and um, uh, Expeditions are starting to go as well. Gaia's Cradle, which we talked about a while back, is now $450. So congratulations if you guys own any of those. And you know the judges are still around a thousand twelve hundred, I think, from like big renders. And uh, I picked a while ago that card to go from like a 
thousand to two thousand eventually, uh, and I still think that's very much on the table. Um, you know, yeah. we've seen the non foils go crazy, and the foils haven't yet. So, if you want to judge, here you go. But now, you better cradle your wallet closely. Now, of course, we're not here to just basically brag about which cards spiked and which cards didn't spike and which cards we had a thousand two hundred of and which cards we didn't have a thousand two hundred of can you just we're, say 1200 like a normal person we're 60 score of uh some mm. of us may have had 60 score of these masterpieces yes um i definitely aced my british mathematician class in the 1850s but i died because they didn't know what penicillin was um it was interesting because we've seen Dominaria be completely spoiled. People are opening boxes as this podcast is being recorded. I actually could not make it back to my room to record correctly because I was opening so much Dominaria. But the the card stock's great, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what Ed's looking at or what Doug's looking at, but uh, the drop rate's not bad, and pre-orders are through the roof. So it should be a good set. Um, financially relevant stuff, uh, order of Benalia spiked, it like tripled this week due to it being at a mythic and not a rare, uh, I mean, one from, history of Benalia. Yeah. That one, the one that has the Noah Bradley art, uh, went from like five to $8. Now it's like 15 to 22, depending on where you look. So financially relevant. If your shop offers pre-orders and they haven't changed the price on that, like could not be a bad idea. Um, no, I'm just real happy with where Magic is this week. Uh, besides all the price spikes and like people not being able to afford cards, it's uh, it's been a pretty good week. Hartford was no, super fun. You should have been there. I was there for three hours. <laughs> I didn't even say hi to you. You, you were on site? <laughs> I was on site for three hours. Aww. I got like two pictures with cartel fans, and then I left. And two of them said that we should get sweatshirts. Like, There's been a lot of listeners lately who have been asking me for merch. Um... And we were looking at like uh, jeans, but like we'd have to get a kid size for Ed and Doug, and that probably wouldn't work. So we'll probably just do sweatshirts in the future. I don't even wear jeans. We can do cartel cargo shorts for you, Doug. Doug, Jeremy was in Connecticut. Uh, the rules of his family legacy are that he's not allowed to associate with people that are worth less than seven figures when he's in that state. <laughs> <laughs> I went to New York and I was amazed that there were highways that had more than uh, two lanes. I didn't know what was going on. It was uh, real scary. I met up with a notable finance guru, JR, of uh, Money Drop. We had like a three-hour lunch and talked about a lot of fun stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I met a bunch of cartel people on site uh, at Hartford and in New York. So that was awesome. Uh, but what was Hartford like for you, Doug? It was a lot of fun. I was working behind the 95 MTG booth. Uh, and we. it was interesting because... Uh, we've never been up far, like that booth has never been that far Northeast before. And so there were a lot of people who didn't recognize the brand and we had a ton of people just constantly trying to use like credit card or constantly asking if we had a trade bonus and like neither of those things are true. Um, we did have the best prices in the room, which a lot of people were surprised at and we were buying cards at the best prices in the room. So that worked out. Um, but the amount of fear of missing out behavior over the masterpieces was crazy. We actually had somebody come up to our booth ask how many mind's eye invocations or masterpiece we had like the five mana artifact that draws cards uh, it was twenty dollars for forever now it's apparently 50. uh we had them in our booth at 55. they bought nine of them and then i heard a story later about how that person went to every other booth 
and claimed that the highest offer in the room was 60 and asked if the other vendors would match it. And they all basically just told him, no, we'd pay like 35, 40, which is still a good number. Um, and then the dude ended up being stuck with nine copies of Masterpiece Mind's Eye. So it was just ridiculous. We had people stopping by our booth all weekend, just checking to see if we had more masterpieces, just buying out like Sacred Foundry and stuff. And it's these were at post-spike prices that were still 10% or so under TCG. And people just couldn't get enough of them. It was ridiculous. And I don't think that behavior. Sorry? You said Sacred Foundry? Yeah, we bought, we sold out of Sacred Foundry in like a day or two, and wow. we were selling them at like I think it was ninety five. That's pretty shocking. Also, you were selling them at ninety five at ninety five, so I find that pretty funny. Yeah. Ed, what was your experience like down under on the other side of the world? Uh, people were like a lot less privy to masterpiece spikes. I think a lot of vendors were aware of it, um, but getting in early on Friday. I was still able to uh, take advantage of some prices that hadn't uh, quite caught up yet. And it didn't seem like they were quite as privy to changes, especially ones that were happening over the weekend. Um, I think like Sunday, some of the ones that had by or Saturday, late Saturday, early Sunday, some of the ones that had exploded include like some of the Shocklands. Uh, Sacred Foundry is one of them. Overgrown Tomb was up there. I think that happened later in the weekend. Yeah. One of the first sales we made behind the booth was a uh, invocation blood moon for two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, that ridiculous. Yeah, that happened. That happened early. I think. Uh, I think we went around and bought all the blood moons earlier on Friday. Um, allegedly bought all the blood moons. Allegedly bought all the blood moons because I don't necessarily condone this behavior. Um, I but do. other than that, other than that. Uh, Sydney always kind of has a different uh, market, as it were, uh, economy, I guess that would be the word. Um, it's always a little bit different. We I had uh, talks with a few different Australian vendors over there. One of the most interesting things was um, the fear that Australian vendors have that they're taking over the marketplace. I don't know if I actually shared it uh, on here, but let me if I can get a screenshot pulled up here. This is from... Ben Huang, who's the owner of Grey Ogre. Who's a really cool uh, guy a... if you guys are ever at GPs. He's a fun guy. Indeed. Very... Yeah, very cool guy. Um, but this was... this. I'm showing a screenshot on my phone. This is pretty hard to tell. I have no idea if this is even... The GameCube this MTG Supercharged BioList. What does the rest of that say? So the bottom of this says, don't sell your cards to foreign shops at the GP. Come to the Games Cubes and get top dollar. Um, so, which is pretty interesting Racist. because wait, so there are so the message is basically not to sell cards to like American or North American or European vendors who had traveled yeah. there. Well, that yes. makes sense because everyone knows that Australian shops are going to offer quality prices. Koala, anyone? No, okay, move on. Um, yeah, so like the Australian market is just it's it's just very different without going into, into huge detail. Um, there's basically like a large franchise chain that apparently, from what I've told, pays nothing on cards. Uh, they're a very very bad store. Most of them don't even stock singles in their store. Um, the cost of product in Australia is just very very high in general. So um, it's very hard for a lot of these Australian stores to compete when foreign vendors come in um, because they can undercut the market so heavily. Uh, and uh, and pay relatively high prices compared to what Australian vendors are used to paying. Um, 
it was just a relatively interesting dynamic over the weekend. Uh, basically on par with like my experience in Australia, like at the past, this is my third time to Sydney now. It's been basically the same. Australian stores charge pretty high and they don't seem to want to pay a lot because having like an aggressive price at the Grand Prix is just not something that they're generally used to. Interesting. Doug, did you do any wheeling dealing on your own at Hartford or not really? Uh, not personally. No, I was busy the entire weekend. I got in Thursday. I drove in Thursday night, uh, set up like early Friday, very early Friday morning, worked the entire Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was interesting that our Airbnb was at an ice cream shop, though. Well, it's so you could get the inside scoop. Yeah, so we uh, we had our house that was like built in the early 1800s or whatever, or whatever, and it was attached directly to an ice cream store that was owned by like a small town couple. And our living room smelled like waffle cone during the evening, so that was pleasant. And Travis, what are you doing with your stacks of gold bars now that all your masterpieces have started selling? Mm, nothing so far other than turning the price up. I, I only list one invention at a time now, uh, and I don't... Um, I don't list more than one at a time. And once it sells, I just tick the price up another 10, 20 or 30 bucks just to kind of see how it moves. I'm not interested in dumping all of them at the moment. Just trying to get as much value out of them as I can. Um, you know, which is good, good strategy for everyone collectively. <clears throat> if you dump, you know, eight or nine of the same masterpiece on the TCG player. Not only does that hold that price at a lower number for a longer period of time, it also makes it look like there's a lot more liquid copies. So people might be a little slower to react. It's better for everyone if they just kind of go one at a time. Uh, it makes, you can call this deceptive, but it gives the illusion of a shallower market. And then people are more willing to buy at higher prices when the lower ones sell. Um, but no, I'm not fire selling mine. I'm taking my time. Okay. Well, also, I will comment. I'm sorry. I will comment that uh, Doug was saying that guy got stuck with Mind's Eye at like 20 bucks a pop or 30 bucks a pop, but that was probably too cheap for that card. No, he was it. paying us 55. Mm, that's still probably was probably too cheap. Like that was one of the ones that I would have bought a while ago. I just was a little surprised it wasn't more expensive, just because it seemed like it's it used to be like a standard in EDH. Well, yeah, it I used to be a standard commander back in the day, but I don't think I've seen that card played in a deck in five or six years at least mm, yeah it might maybe it's a little outclass now but i'm sure that that will still probably work out for that guy yeah uh before we move on just one little anecdote i wanted to share uh ed went down to sydney for a vacation as many people know and uh he went to a bar with a listener of ours and the listener didn't know who he was until he listened to the po the latest podcast on the way back from sydney and realized ed was there so they literally talked at the bar and they didn't recognize Ed. So we need to get him a giant like orange hat, super bright that says like I'm Edwin. Or this something. is this is like the magic magic equivalent of the guy who like goes to the airport airport bar and like spends this while talking to like this really attractive woman or whatever, and then eventually asks her for a number and she just laughs at him and it turns out she was a model or something. Ed, what what? I, it, it was a relative, it was a relatively mundane experience and like like we were just there were just a bunch of us uh i had a mutual friend who i've met at a gp in the past he's one of the bigger vendors down there and there were just a bunch of us sitting at the the bar was it casino bar saturday night or something 
I have no idea. I was at the casino every night in Sydney, so um, I don't remember which one it was. But we were just talking. He he was asking me a bunch of questions about like the U.S. market or whatever. Even registered that he would listen to me. He did definitely didn't recognize who I was. I don't think he ever called my name, so I don't think that helped. You're the either. only six foot eight person behind a booth, Ed. It's not that hard to find you. Uh, right. But uh, let's take this back a bit from four hundred dollar, two thousand dollar reserveless cards and masterpieces and international travel, and let's bring this back to a little bit more that our viewers can actually connect with. I had something. Uh. I had a collection walk in on Friday while I was out of town and the guy's like, Oh, there's alpha and beta cards in there. It's like, okay, everyone says that they're probably revised. And like, there were a couple alpha and beta cards in there. Like it wasn't like, Oh my God, like there was another $20,000 that this guy didn't know about or something like last year. Uh, but it was just like one or two alpha beta cards. And I started picking it. And like when Doug picks bulk, he picks down to like the infinite cent of value like three cent cards are getting picked at some point if card kingdom's paying enough on them and i pulled out like the ponders and the brainstorms and the predicts and all that stuff but i think i'm going to start pulling out just anything that's legal and old school and just like throwing it in a box and sorting it eventually because i feel like even though they're not actually buy listing for anything especially if they're played i don't think there's any downside to holding on to that bulk right yeah, I already do that. Um, old school sets like Legends, Arabian Nights, and uh, like the Dark. Those are some of the only sets where I don't have this entire uh, catalog esque knowledge of what each card in the set is worth. So anytime I come across a card like that, even if it's like Carnivorous Moss Beast or like some shitty one one rat for one, if it's from a set that's before like revised, I'll just pick it, pull it aside and set it in a giant box of old school stuff. And one day I'm just going to take that to a GP and like sit down with a vendor and say like, here, just pick through all this and give me some money because like those sets, I don't find often enough to um sort of justify keeping up with the price trends on uh and it's just sort of like a eventually going to be free money i think but it's not yeah. worth keeping up with my time so that's something so this person had and we counted 1328 copies of marsh goblins from the dark in their yeah. collection stuff like and that i just throw in a box and set aside like eh, the old school might one i don't know yeah like i've heard that vendors pay more for old bulk but it has to be like near mint which is yes. the problem, but I just I just like saw a bunch of the dark and like fallen empires that like weren't worth anything, and I was just like, you know what? I think I'm gonna start just picking all this and throwing it in a closet and forgetting about it. So, um, it's and just, I mean, it I works out to an extent too because a lot of those cards from the older sets aren't as appealing to casual players. Like you could have a three three Cathodian or whatever from Antiquities. I'm sure that's actually worth something. But for example, some theoretically garbage limited common from arabian nights or the dark or antiquities and casual players aren't going to want that compared to like some fancier common from Kaladesh in their bulk or some card from like ravnica or cold snap or whatever like it's just a card that looks a lot noticeably different than the rest of their cards it might be a little more played it might be even it might even just be noticeable from other cards based on the print run of the back of the card so like i just don't sell all that old bulk on craigslist if it's older than i'd say revised i just put it in a box and forget about it yeah travis is that something you've done when you've like found random collections or not really um, I pull out alpha and beta and unlimited where I catch it. I set those aside. Most of the collections I've bought haven't had that depth of uh, aged cards. Um, and also the last time I was picking through collections of any reasonable size like that was... Doug, if you keep clicking, I'm going to throw your ago. head through a keyboard. 
You can mute while your fellow guest is talking. What happened to Manners? That wasn't, that wasn't me clicking while Travis was talking. Oh, was it Travis? No. Travis, I swear to God, we've been over this, but continue. I, I definitely have not muted myself at all within this podcast, but that was not me in the past couple seconds. I'm going to fly to wherever Travis lives and throw him off the Niagara Falls. I, I If I find Alpha, Beta, or even Unlimited, I would pick it. Arabian Nights, that type of stuff, but... I don't see it very often. There's not a lot of collections I have that come through. And, you know, that wasn't something aside from alpha and beta, you weren't really incentivized to do that. You know, even three years ago, I like how Jeremy's talking, saying like, let's get to the stuff that our listeners can uh, Mm -hmm. resonate with. And then we're talking about Arabian nights cards. Yeah, he did go enough of the $400 cards. Uh, So anyways, when a $20,000 alpha collection walks through the door, well, we aren't talking about that. I'm just saying, like, I find collections that have, like, one or two, like, garbage alpha beta cards and then a bunch of garbage the dark cards or, like, a bunch of garbage revised cards. And now it's, like, I'm just going to start pulling them. Like, I have four or five rows of just complete garbage revised stuff that I'm just, like, going to throw in a clock, forget about until I sell out, sell out of magic. And it's all, like, death wards and, like, circle of protections and whatever. But I don't think there's any downside to holding on to that stuff. I mean, they're essentially reserve list cards, right? Like, they're not, yeah. but they behave like they are, so why not? And speaking of price movements, both Revised Shivan Dragon and Revised Serendipifreet have both spiked in the last week. Like, those rares are starting to go now that people are like, oh, we've bought out everything else. Like, what's I, the next cheapest thing? And so. See, that, to me, is questionable. I Like, I don't know if people realize what the print run is on Revised compared to Unlimited and Alpha Beta. It's like 15 or 20. I thought it was water. interesting. Uh, I heard a statistic. I don't know how true it is, but... Fake somebody news. Want, what? Somebody Fake once news. told me that there are more copies of Revised Underground Sea than there are Innistrad Liliana of the Veils. Uh, I believe that could be true. Which is just sort of like a staggering statistic when you think about it. Like, you just sort of think of like, oh, modern print runs, anything past 2008, there's so much of. Like, but if there's more revised underground seas in existence than Innistrad Liliana the Veils, that just goes to show number one, the amount of play that modern seas nowadays. Um, and number two, just like the, the extent of how many duels are out there and like how hard it would be for dual lands to hit $1,000 prices. Like, you think of duels as these like ancient, um, arcane esque cards that you never see if you're a casual player starting out and if you see a pi- binder page full of duels you're like wow how did you get all these but like there's just so much revised product out there i'm not saying the underground sea won't hit a thousand dollars eventually but i'm just saying like there's more revised out there than you think anything you want to add Ed? sorry um i think the the concept of print runs is very interesting i think it really puts into scale a lot of different things um like you know take alpha like that's one that like people cite the most often it's 1100 of each um alpha rare and it was like what like commons are down to sixteen thousand five hundred yeah. or something, something yep. like that like that's pretty crazy to think about um just on a level of scale i think that really goes to show like how rare some of these cards are um, even like all of, um, I, I think someone was, it was on, uh, it was on an article somewhere recently and, um, just the numbers for people. So you can actually find a lot of information, uh, for listeners who don't know about the early sets. Uh, this was back when wizards actually openly just published, Hey, we printed this many of these sets. I think that lasted up through 
some early expansions in 1995, I think. Um, but there's like 5 million Arabian Nights cards total out there. Um, total Alpha, Beta, Unlimited rares come out to... I can't remember the number off the top of my head anymore. But anyways, if you guys want to read this... It's I all thought it was three times the print run. Let me pull this up because I thought... There's actually a post on the MTG Finance subreddit that like the beta rares were three times as uh, as common uh, as alpha. Yeah, and then five times as common for unlimited. I, I think it's something along that scale. I, I don't remember right. off the top of my head. Two point six million print run for alpha. Seven point three million for beta. Thirty five million for unlimited. So yeah, that's right. So <laughs> it's it's almost three times as much beta, and then five times as much unlimited. And if so there's, there's thirty five million unlimited, there's probably what like three hundred million revised so or something. So there's one thousand one hundred and ninety four alpha rares, three thousand three hundred and fifty one beta rares, and sixteen thousand unlimited rares of each. Anyways, back to my original point. Um, a lot of this information you can go back and look for the early sets. Um. And it really goes to show, um, like how like how rare some of these cards are getting at this point. We're looking at what this is like basically twenty five years, twenty four or twenty five years on a lot of these sets. And if we're not counting the cards that have been lost to attrition for a multitude of reasons, people saw them in their closets. People, you know, sharpie on top of their cards. Well, I mean, attrition destroyed. can't destroy Alpha Lord of the Pits, though. What? I got it. Oh no! This this is a Jeremy thing. You're you're doing that Jeremy thing, aren't you? Um, but it ju it just goes to show, like one, I think so. We we brought this up in this in discussion somewhere in Seattle or Sydney. I honestly can't remember. Um, because the conversation started over masterpieces. We were trying to guesstimate the size and how many of each masterpiece are out there. And it really goes to show, like again, when compared to old cards, some of these cards are really really hard to come by. It's no surprise, like. You know, it, uh, someone was trying to find like a set of Alpha Longwear Elves in anticipation of Dominaria, and they were completely floored when I told them that they're like what, like ninety bucks or something. Two hundred dollars. Like, okay, well that that, that that's the even. The ones are like one fifty now. Okay, yeah, I knew they've been slightly creeping up, but uh, there's clearly a lot of demand for this. Um, people can attribute it to like I read like these things on the MTG Finance. People think it's like crypto causing this it's like you're missing out um like all these things but not to be the, not to be the guy that says you know i told you so but i remember back in november we had talked about how prices were just so heavily depressed and i had mentioned briefly like there was going to be a rebound that was going to happen mainly because you can't have a price index for cards across the board be this low and just kind of expect price corrections to not occur um and i think i mentioned like in a podcast like it was going only going to be a matter of time before we start seeing rebounds on prices and it just kind of causes this upward trickle where if the base if the base level cards like modern staples wherever if they start to get expensive which the price index for modern has gone up since uh john uh since bloodbait elf and jace have kind of shaken up the format and has caused a lot of lower level staples to spike that kind of causes an upward trickle effect where if people, okay, well, my set of black leaves, leaves have spiked. Now this is the opportune time to take them and uh, trade them towards store credit, towards duels. It causes the price of duels to go up because now people have, you know, a lot more low level staples and people are trying to get, take advantage and trade for duels. And if duels have gone up in price, which they have, you see now people start to trade, eventually trade those for these higher tier 
staples like tabernacle um is one that's kind of been up there towards the top um legends the legends for print run is also surprisingly rare as well um that was the number that i looked at and was pretty surprised by and it's no surprise that tabernacle is expensive as it is given the nature of the unlimited print runs there were some weird things especially like with the uncommon sheets where uh booster boxes can only have one of two sheets which means like you can only get like mandrains and half the boxes and i think there's like a caracas was other uncommon yeah it's mandrain and caracas on the same sheet yeah so you can only get one or two your box will only have caracases or your box will only have mandrains for example um but anyways like the upward trend of these it has just caused a price index for all cards across the board to go up and i don't suspect that this is something that's actually going to slow down and i think it's more than just you know crypto going up obviously i'm sure that has influence on it because i know a lot of uh crypto whales who have who spend a lot of money on magic um someone had mentioned like one of the people i know they have uh, like they had a thousand labels that they purchased with crypto um a little while back and now they're looking to dump it because label is one of those cards that's kind of approaching its all-time high due to how prevalent legacy is um and the fear of missing out like you can you can say what you want about that i I think some of it's rational and some of it isn't. Um, like I, it, it really does make me wonder, like how many people these, how many of these people would have bought anyways, but they're either pulling the trigger now again because of fear of missing out, or if they're just pulling it because, like Doug said, um, it, it's just like one of those naturally hot things, and I think there actually is demand for them, even at like you know raising prices people are still gonna buy tabernacles at two thousand dollars people are going to continue to buy masterpieces at these prices um and it, it i i just don't see an end where like the price index for these cards just don't continue to go up and i don't see like what can really cause a bubble to pop which people seem to say that magic is a bubble right now but again i just think this is just a natural progression of what magic looks like over time when you have a very very scarce commodity and there's just a lot of demand across the board for it I just think that dual lands and like alpha beta rares are underpriced compared to the masterpieces right now, even though there's way more demand than for masterpieces, if that makes sense. Like Mana Crypt at like $400 versus like, uh, like a plate underground C for 400 or whatever. It's just, it just seems weird to me. And like, I really regret selling all that alpha beta stuff last year and just like looking at how much money I left on the table. But it paid my bills, so I guess that's cool. But at the same time, it's just like I owned like, yeah, it's rough. It's hard to take in. Sorry, just uh, just sad. I to I totally agree with you. I think like a lot of the like alpha and beta stuff. I'm actually surprised that relative to unlimited power, alpha and beta power is actually as cheap as it is. Um, over the past few years, we've seen like most unlimited power like trend upward in price, but a lot of the black border power has stayed at a relatively steady multiplier um which is kind of the gauge i use on these things um it always feels like you know we looked at we looked at scale of rarity on beta alpha power we can kind of guesstimate what multiplier people should be expecting on these rare things compared to um their unlimited counterparts same can be said for like you know unlimited or unlimited dual lands versus revised dual lands or etc same as like masterpieces versus the normal counterparts we expect a certain level of uh multiplicity again relative to the rarity playability etc um and it it definitely is surprising that i like we haven't seen a huge like i shouldn't say huge but a steady upward trend for 
you know, like beta and alpha power. Again, because unlimited power has just gone so much more popular, the demand has, has just gone through the roof on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm glad we keep touching on all these things that are completely uh, rational to our listeners and just super useful. Well, then, Doug, you come up with a topic. You guys want to do a breaking bulk? <clears throat> That's not our segment. Will we? Get <laughs> it's my segment from Jason. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> We're sitting here talking about alpha and inventions and cards that cost a thousand, two thousand dollars. That's that's not something our listeners are ever going to think about or deal with. Why don't we talk about the difference between cards worth two cents and four cents that you have to when you have to thumb through two hundred thousand cards a month for this to matter? That that's accessible. Breaking bulk time. Hey, breaking I've a, bulk time. I've got a card breaking, that breaking, is actually like four breaking or five dollars. Uh, and I bet you can't guess it. A four or five dollar magic card, and you want me to guess it? Yeah. Wait. wait. No, like I'll give you information about it. Like it's uh. All right, let's do this. This is easy. It's a red rare from Mirage. Zerillion of the Claw. Nope. It's not Firestorm because that's more. It's a red. Firestorm Firestorm is also not because I picked it today. Other light, Mirage's other light. It's a five dollar rare from Mirage, and it's red. Because you're gonna you're gonna skip past this in bulk. And you're not going to know because it doesn't have a rare, uh, rare symbol. Give me some more information on it. It's an enchantment. TCG player market price is five twenty-seven. Is an it enchant- an enchantment? Is it a world enchantment or just an enchantment? It's a world enchantment, which I think gives it away. Okay. Uh, Chaos Sphere? Yep. Nice. Chaos Sphere is a red world enchantment. Creatures with flying cannot block creatures without flying. Creatures without flying can block creatures with flying. It's a red EDH enchantment that helps ground-based decks just sort of turn the tables on flyers. Decks like Omnath or Rukthar, where you're just playing big red-green stompy stuff, or like maybe a Boros aggro deck that's low to the ground. You're just like, all my guys effectively fly now, and all your flyers effectively don't fly. Um, this card's $5, and it's just a card that is super old. Again, Mirage Print Run. Card's never been printed. Card's $5. If you go through Mirage Bulk, nobody's going to know what this is. That that legacy player who played 15, 20 years ago is going to give you their Mirage and Visions Bulk. They're going to pull out all the Kyrian Rangers, all the tortured existences from all that pauper hype, but Chaos Fear. It looks like these are sitting in my Mirage bulk. Good job, Doug. A plus. Ed, hit us with a pick of a card that you that people think is bulk, but it isn't. No oh god. Uh you have to give clues like creature or color or So the problem with this is the bulk that I concern myself with is almost exclusively standard bulk. Uh mainly because the cards that we list in our store are basically cards that go down to like two to five cents. Um and I, I feel like that just, just doesn't apply. That doesn't help most listeners because, you know, you have people like Travis who can't be bothered with these types of things because unless you're listing 500 copies of these cards, um, it's not really practical to be pulling out like two and five cent cards out of, out of your bulk. Um, so I, I'm definitely not the best person to, uh, to do this, mainly because I don't know what people think is bulk and... Uh, what is and isn't bulk anymore, I'm rather. So. Not Rhystic Study. Everyone knows that one. Travis? 
Uh, what was the question? Sorry. Breaking bulk pick. We're just ripping off Brainstorm Brewery, so we need you to gain 50 pounds, uh, bitch about your daughter coming downstairs, and have shitty stand-up. Is that? Jeez, that was that was just aggressive. That wasn't uh, like, like a corny little joke. That was just that was just mean. Well, that was overly harsh. I was picking up some boneless tender wings for the ninth time in four days, uh, and figured I should tell you guys about this card that I like to pull from bulk. Uh, Silver Gill Adept. Yeah, I'm sorry. I haven't picked Balkan forever. I can't even come up with something clever. <laughs> I have nothing off the off the cuff that was that's good. Might have old Croza, but maybe people forgot about it. And now that it's but the deck get reprinted. It was in Modern Masters 2017. Oh man, so I have no clue. I don't know. I don't pick Balkan anymore. It's for scrubs. But but this is what our podcast is about. It's not about flying halfway around the world to buy and sell magic cards that only a few people are allowed to go behind a booth. It's about those $2 cards that add up to an extra slice of pizza at FNM, man. I mean, that bulk you sold me in Toronto, Travis, had like $600 worth of stuff in it. Yeah, Travis, that bulk that you <laughs> sold me in Toronto that I sold to Doug had $600 worth of stuff in it. Six, What's wrong with you? $600 for shops, right? Yeah, no, but it's like, like a buy list of like two. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. shit. I should have like, that. There was like 10 Gushes, like four or five Ash Barons, like multiple play sets of Lightning Bolt. <laughs> Yeah, well, no. listeners, I was lazy. Case, and Jeremy was dumb. Yeah, <laughs> that, your time is always worth something, listeners. So you can't do takesies backsies on transactions. Yeah, how, how many how many hours did it take you to sort that? Like to an not, hour. No, yeah, but not just pick it. Not just pick it, but like pick it, sort it, and ship it. No, no, because you just pick it and then you sell the rest of the bulk as bulk, and then you don't. I worry mean, or about you just it. like pick it and then throw it in a one row and then take it to a GP and drop it off at 95's booth and be like, give me dollars. But you you have to know to pick the cards. Now that one might have been a softball, right? Like lightning bolts and gushes. You don't have to be an expert to be able to pick, but it would have taken me probably well, a lot longer. Aren't you the expert? So shouldn't you have picked your own bulk? I mean, I'm not an expert at two dollar cards. Like you know, I could look. I could have looked through that box and pulled out lightning bolts and gushes. I can't look through in a strad bulk and pull out every card worth more than a dime. I can pull out some of them. Okay. Uh, Invisible Stalker, Pierce Car, Delvers, Moon Mist is a big one. Ghost Quarters, like the best one. Not of the Bone. I don't pick that. That's like four cents, man. Yep. You need a real hobby. That's not uh, a hobby. It's a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you guys want to become like Doug, uh, get on a podcast. Charge people for their con for your content if you want access to after hours. Uh, write good articles for TCG player and uh, fly around the world and play magic because Just, we want to bring the average payment of a booth babe down to destroy the market. Just remember, if you want to make picking bulk your lifestyle, you can't even afford the rest of your pants. You have to wear shorts all the time. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I guess I'll go into breaking bulk, man. The problem is Doug knows everything, so this isn't even fair. Um, black uncommon from Morning Tide. It's a creature. Uh, Una's blackguard. The, the rogue yeah, that yep. gives your rogues plus one. Yep. Plus you two guys bucks. got it. I pulled out a bunch of those the other day, Stink and I was like, bandit. we can get three dollars on these. Like hell yeah, Stink Trigger Bandit, right? No, Una's blackguard. Oh, that that's another one, yeah. 
Yeah, both like, of those are picks. They're both rogue picks. And then the other one is uh, that I think is going to go up is a blue morning tide uncommon creature. Uh, what creature? Uh, um, Sage of Fables. Yeah. I think like we've been selling out of those at a pretty rapid rate. And when wizards come out in Dominaria, like I think people will just build more wizard stacks. So actually, uh, I have some Italian morning tide bulk lying around and I went through it recently and I found some Italian stink drinker bandits. And the name for that card is just ridiculous in Italian. It's a uh, bandito de bebo. De... <laughs> it's bandito de babunga tinga. We need to take you to uh, GP Bologna so you can pronounce that right. I guess I could go with the Missouri pronunciation and say baloney. So. Bandito yeah. de Bione Puzolente. You know, Ristic studies, the magic man Sam listens to this podcast and he speaks fluent Italian and he's going he's gonna to probably tweet at you saying how to pronounce it. That's fine. Yeah. So, go Sam. Um, yeah, so that was breaking bulk. We did it even better than Brainstorm Brewery, I guess. So, I mean, Corbin never comes up with a pick anyway, so that was Travis, and then Jason always comes up with a pick, which I that I guess immediately, so that was you. So, it worked out in the end. Yeah, it's All like right. I'm back home, except I'm treated better. Ooh, Yikes. shut the hell up, moron. Yeah, and we get dropped from GM now, so. Hooray. Bullying in 2018, man. You can't do that. Um, all right. So we talked about the small stuff. We talked about the big stuff. We talked about Dominaria. Let's talk about the mid-range stuff. Um, fetches are continuing to go up. We Oh, Jim's not here, so we have to do a credit thing anyway. Someone asked this question, but you're not winning this week, so sorry. Unless Jim comes on and picks it, and then it'll be awkward. Someone said that shocks are hitting their all-time high. They asked this question this week on GatheringMagic.com for a chance to win a $25 gift card. And he goes, with the thought of Ravnica coming back in the future, should I sell all my shock lands? Because I essentially mean, all of them but Hollowed Fountain are over $10 at this point. I mean, if you're playing them, you don't sell them. But like, if you are just randomly sitting on your shock lands waiting for them to go up, yeah, I think you get your money's worth out of them now because they are all... Um, non-plane specific, although I, my money would be that they put them back in Ravnica because that's where they all have been the past two times. But like, if yeah, if you're not using them and they're hitting their all-time high, I don't see any reason to sell because these aren't like masterpieces or dual lands where the price is just unlimited and going to keep going up. It's they're shock lands; they're going to get hit again at some point. So if you're not using them, sell. But if you're somebody with like Jun Shadow and uh, I don't know what's another deck that plays fetches. Like just every deck in Legacy, all of them. Yeah. Well, like I don't know. Like I was the, the first decks that came to mind were like Affinity and like Ad Nauseam, and I was like, those don't play shocks. So I don't know. If you're playing a deck that a bunch of modern decks that have fetches in them, don't fire sale your fetches or your shocks. Just like if you're getting no use out of them, sell them. Anyone else? Ed, Travis. Uh, yes, you. You didn't post a question. What what was it again? Something about shock. Do you sell your shocks out of fear of RTR number three? Uh, I need that you aren't playing. That's I, yeah. That is the yeah. One, literally what I just yeah, said. I figured. I'm just agreeing. Can you like, make money on a card that you bought. Yes. Okay. Do that. It's, 
the the odds of the shocks getting reprinted in a return return to Ravnica set are quite high, especially because they know that's where the player expectations are. Um, although not reprinting the fetches in Battle for Zendikar was really odd, but I guess they just reprinted them right. They, or they did were, right before Battle the first. No, Zendikar. they reprinted them in Battle for Zendikar. They were just a little foily. True. Um, in any case, they we haven't seen those in quite a while, so I would expect them to come back. Prices will generally come down. There's always this really wild moment where. Like when the check lands were revealed uh, in whatever the most reprinting was, like prices went up, right? Like what was it? Uh, not Copperline Gorge. Rootbound Crag went from like 75 cents to $3 because suddenly like all of the nine previous printings people cared about. Uh, so like you might see a really brief bump in shock prices if they're suddenly legal and standard. The difference is that all of those check lands had no reason to be owned by anyone basically at that point in time. And then standard made them a little bit relevant, whereas shock lands have always been relevant. So making them available in standard doesn't like increases demand, but like the demand's already there. It doesn't go from zero to something. It goes from something to a little more, but we also get a big supply bump. So yeah. Hmm? There's also the fact that the, the print run of RTR, even though it was big is still probably nothing compared to the print run of a set six years later. Like a good point. The print run of Return to Ravnica was noticeably higher than Innistrad. I mean, it was one of the first times that, like, we just saw rares that didn't hit, like, 20 or $30 on, I mean, other than Abrupt Decay for a month or two, but whatever. Jeez, um, Architect of Thought. Woo! Yeah, as a mythic. But, like, RTR had a noticeably higher print run than any set previous to it. And I think we're seeing just another level of massive print runs with these standard sets because, again, box prices are just not what they used to be. You can't just buy a box of uh, Ixalan, sit on it for two years, then sell it for 30% more than what you paid for it. Um, and I think this is going to be proven again with the Dominaria check, the Dominaria checklands, uh, like Travis was saying. But again, those were originally printed in Innistrad. None of them had an initial printing outside of Isolated Chapel, which had a modern event deck printing. Um, but those prices aren't going to hit what they were before. So Sulfur Falls was hitting 9 or $10. It's not going to go down to like five or six. It's going to be three or $4 card for a while. And then it'll creep back up a little bit over time, but not nearly as much. So if the shocks do get hit and return to return to return to Ravnica, they are going to go down significantly. Can we put on our tinfoil hats for a second? So we're getting the check lens in Dominaria. And I currently have a stack of them sitting next to me. They look pretty nice. Then we're going to get shock lands in return to return to Ravnica. And then in the core set, we're going to get um omniscience and thrag tusk and then i can play omnidor thrag fire again just like it's 2012 brace yourselves people it's happening i remember that that was right before it turned out travis Wu was a alleged Nazi. alleged alleged travis uh, you have to put alleged in there do i have not no legal there's not a legal statement it's a gathering magic statement opinion. probably yeah say it's your opinion that okay well, we, it is my, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> well, enjoy that lawsuit. Um, all right, I'll pick the, uh, the question this week. Now, I know about half the people here, so I'm not picking them because normally Jim picks it every week for full transparency, and I have no say in, like, who leaves comments. And actually, while I was opening Dominaria in the shop today, people were like, yo, I'm going to leave comments. You should pick me. And it's like, I can't. So I'm picking someone that I don't know this week, and it's also a relevant question for all of us. And it's also a name that um, Jim actually can pronounce because for some reason he failed phonetics in kindergarten. Uh, Jack Tan asks, hey, everyone, I was wondering how much capital did you guys all start with when you guys decided to dive into MTG finance? 
And how long did it take for you to stop using your personal funds and start using your returns instead? Thank stop. you. <laughs> well, Travis, go first. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I I had a very organic entry into this, uh, possibly the most out of anyone aside from maybe Doug. Um, I had a kind of a crummy job um, that I was not in love with. And I had been playing a little bit of kitchen table magic with some friends and I had moved out of that house. It was like a college house. I had moved out. I was living alone. Um, so I wasn't, we weren't playing nearly as much, but I still wanted to be playing magic. And then one of my friends was like, Hey, I'm going to go to F and M. Like you should make the leap and come try out standard. I had looked up like uh, a budget deck. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was, um, it was a Jacob van Lunen deck. And it was uh, the one with extractor demons. You milled your, it was a Lara Zendikar or M10 and a Lara standard so you had played like extractor demons and all that stuff and then um i milled uh unearthed everybody and attacked for a bunch with uh crypto agadim um but so like my deck was worth nothing because i didn't have a lot of money i had to borrow nine cent rares uh you know for my buddy to play it um and i got into playing fnm and like it was fun and i wanted to go every friday and play standard magic because it was exciting and i enjoyed the competition and i always liked sort of at the time, I was very much like build and do your own thing. And I don't want to say that I complained about NetDeckers, but I probably had a touch of animosity towards the concept. I liked kind of building your own solution, um, even though I guess I had copied that deck from somebody else. So yeah, I guess I probably wasn't too grumpy about it. In any case, I had no real funds to begin with. I just started playing and winning prize packs and cracking them and putting them in my binder um, and scouring the MTG Salvation Forums for information about cool decks uh, and got connected doing the trading on that website on MTG Salvation because uh, I needed new cards, but I had no way to get them because I didn't really want to spend a lot of money. You know, I, I might spend $5 a week on cards. Like that was kind of a lot for me. And that would come in like the form of a $20 purchase once a month type of thing. Um, luckily my buddy had some cards because he'd been playing a little bit longer than I did. So he could tell that I was very quickly figuring all this out. So he handed over to me, I don't know, a hundred standard rares and said, here, let's make this our joint collection. You can deal with trading it because I've got a kid, you know what you're doing. Uh, and then it kind of grew from there and I just churned, you know, tr traded and traded and traded and binder grinded my local store until I had a collection, um, and really started to put the pieces together that way. And that's where I got, I got started from. So binder grinding today you can't do it in the way that i used to be able to because at the time smartphones weren't really ubiquitous Travis uh, ripped off kids that's how he made his living that's sure. what he's getting at uh yeah like everyone that walked through the store i held up people in parking lots i knocked children down it was pretty pretty bad allegedly <laughs> no <laughs> no alleged here at all um I did get banned from that card store. So yeah, I mean, allegedly. About, yeah, that's not alleged either. <laughs> so it's definitely picking on little kids. Um, but you can't binder grind like that anymore. Everyone, know, people either know all the prices or they have smartphones and they plug it all into apps, which didn't exist at the time that gives you a to the dime to the penny uh, card evaluation. So I started with nothing. Um, I still do kind of, I, I blend the still line. Still has between, nothing. Yeah, still have nothing. I blend, blur the line between like, card profits and personal finance. I, I shouldn't, but I do uh, more so, of course, than the other three guys. I probably because for me, it's just a side hobby. It's not like a full time job. Um, but you know, how, how do you make that that jump in? Uh, I, I honestly don't have a great answer for you. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do when you've got $100 worth of cards. Um, you can try and grind trades, really, you'd have to trade speculatively. Uh, you'd have to be taking your card that's worth $15 today and the other guy that, whose card is worth $15 today and make that trade knowing that yours is going to go down and his is going to go up. That's how you're going to generate 
value in trades these days. And that's been written about extensively. You know, those articles were around a couple of years ago uh, when when smartphone apps became uh, ubiquitous enough that you couldn't you couldn't kind of value trade anymore. That's your best bet if you don't want to spend any money. Uh, other than that, it's basically just timing your buying and selling wisely would be my recommendation. But he literally just asked how much capital it took and you gave him your life story. Yeah, I because I, I started with basically nothing and I was able to take advantage of a situation that you probably can't now. And uh, yeah, I can follow up from that. My situation is oh. pretty similar to Travis's in that I was a casual player and I just started learning about tournaments around actually the same time, like Zendikar, Scars of Alara time. And so I dipped my feet into the competitive scene with a very budget allies deck that relied on Mimic Vat and uh, whatever the hand disruption ally was to make them lock them out of the game or whatever. And I was playing against like Jace decks and Gideon Jura decks and competitive mono red that had goblin guides or whatever. And I was getting destroyed. And so as a high school kid with basically no income, I was relying on trading and learning the market and just sort of trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way for me to turn this pile of garbage or like this booster box I got for my birthday into like, or an actual collection. And so I realized that probably the most profitable way for me to turn instead of like $2 rare to $3 rare or $10 rare into $11 rare was for me to figure out a niche that nobody else in my store was using. And that was bulk commons and uncommons at the time. So I would offer to trade for or buy or just sort of salvage the commons and uncommons that were around or offer to trade for people's bulk and trade off my slightly few playable rares and turn them into like thousands of commons and uncommons that I kept at my mom's house. And then I'd pick out all the mirror galvanizers, the palladium mirrors, the hotter free blades and the exsanguinates and all of that stuff and just turn those into store credit, which I would use to buy higher end singles. And I just sort of churned that over and over until I started to have a reasonably decent sized collection and play competitively. And then by the time I went to college, I just sort of had a thousand dollars in my bank account that I had saved up from a part-time job at Kmart. And it just so happened that I looked into a situation where I was the only person at our gaming club who was willing to spend cash on cards. So person who's never been to the gaming club walks in with a godless shrine and says, Hey, I'm not using this. I'd like to trade it. And then everybody else in the room says, no, I don't really want to trade it. And then he says, well, I want to sell it. And I'd be like, eh, I'm not using it, but I'll give you five bucks for it. And then I just sort of learned to take advantage of setting up a TCG player seller account or an eBay account. I learned what buy lists were, how to churn cards into store credit into cash into, and I just sort of used that thousand dollars in capital. Again, as a college student, I was lucky enough to not have bills at the time. I didn't really uh, spend my money. You're forgetting that you got a scholarship. Sure. Yeah. Like, like I, I also got a scholarship for, uh, but that all went to college. Player. Tuition, so. Yeah. But like it, you were so good at magic that gamers helping gamers gave you a scholarship. I mean, I didn't get the scholarship based on my skill in the game. No, it was entirely based on the fact that you top aided a draft. Okay. Um, it was about my ability to talk about and write about my experiences as a player, but um, and also that I told John Finkel that Storm sucked to his face. But <laughs> um, yeah, I started with a thousand dollars, and that's the answer to your question. But I had a similar situation to Travis, where I was fortunate enough to. Um, be able to take advantage of those sort of last few days of Wild West trading and um, being able to capitalize on the fact that I knew what certain cards were worth and other people didn't. And I'm not saying that I walked up to somebody and traded their um, $50 card for my $2 
card or whatever, but I was willing to trade for a thousand bolt commons and uncommons, which again, nobody else in my area wanted to do. Nobody wanted to deal with the bolt garbage. Nobody wanted it to take up space. And I would just say, yeah, I'll take all of it. And so I just sort of carved a niche out for myself and I did the work and learning which cards are worth pulling out of bulk, even down to the quarters and 10 cents. And I would eventually ship a couple hundred dollars to a buy list at the time, which was like ABU games or adventures on or strike zone at some like back in the day. And then I just sort of built a collection from there and that accumulated enough to the point where I became just that guy. I was that guy to bring your cards to. I was that person to sell your bulk to. I was that person to sell a modern deck to. I was that person to buy a modern deck from. And it just sort of spiraled out of control from there. That's, that's and, all I got. Um, yeah. I get, I guess. Yeah. Like if you don't have the capital to spend on magic, then you probably shouldn't get into the game. Um, like you should obviously fulfill your imp more important needs first, like your ability to sustain yourself and pay your bills and food and rent or whatever, because I buy collections for people who choose not to do those things and then they lose out on value. Ed. I started with basically no capital. Um, this was back. All when you of us bootstrapped it. You heard <clears throat> it here first. Uh, basically back when uh, magic online traders, was a thing MOTL which this was we're talking like 2003 ish was when I started doing it Jesus Christ you're ancient yeah I know I've actually met uh people from MOTL in real life in person after having dealt with them which is actually kind of cool uh both of them are actually pretty good friends of mine now um but I started with nothing it was basically just it was like before I even had a bank account I was actually sending cash to the mail uh to buy cards uh from from people on MOT, I was like in 2003, I was what, like 12 at the time, 14, I guess. Um, and it was just like holding on to stuff. When I started college, I was doing this on my dorm room in my free time. Um, and, it, and because I was so close to the post office, I could basically just set up a PO box, get like all my mail routed through there instead of having to send it to my parents' house. And it was just sending out uh, orders every day, just selling on like MTG Salvation, like Travis had mentioned on MOT. Uh, worked my way up through eBay and that was just a result of not just kind of taking advantage of just slowly buying cards that would get expensive over time um, and just slowly like trading up from there I was the guy down to like similar to Doug the guy down the uh, store that actually had cards that was that was basically just uh, both undercutting the store and just paying more on cards. People just do to come back to me over and over again. And Wait, now you're just... the guy that like screwed stores over by like trading in the parking lot. Something like that. Ah, uh, someone should yeah. have broke your knees, but yeah, continue. Allegedly. Um, no, someone should have broke his knees. Oh, that was a hundred percent me, by the way. That's why I got thrown out of that one card store. <laughs> Allegedly, Travis. <laughs> um, but my card but, store had a rule that if you you weren't allowed to trade, you were just not allowed to trade. That was ridiculous. People didn't believe me when I told them that when I went to GPs. Sorry, I mean, I, in, I, I mean, in Japan, like every store gets by without allowing trades in store, and they seem to do fine. But anyways, allegedly, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, it just got to a point where I just realized, like, oh, I don't even need to bother, bother with card stores. I don't even need to bother with these kind of things. Um, I could just run it all from my house, just have people mail their cards to me. I would mail cards out to them, uh, send cards out on eBay, whatever. I don't even know, like, that eBay account anymore. It's been so long since I've used it. Um, eventually, that just became going to Grand Prix's. 
um, etc. Um, the line where it became I when I stopped using personal funds and started using returns instead, like there's no real clear line. It yeah. was just at some yeah, it was just at some point where okay, well. I need these cards because I would still like buy cards because, oh, I need a standard deck. Well, I need to keep a standard deck for myself. Eventually, I need a modern deck. I would keep a modern deck for myself. Um, and then at some point, it just became, okay, well, I just don't have that. I, I think it was like at some point last year on the cast I talked about, it's like, okay, I have no desire to own cards anymore. I don't really need to own a modern deck. I play, you know, like the, the extent to which I get to play Magic now is one draft a week. I have no reason to own modern cards. So basically, everything to me is just, you know, a piece of cardboard that's worth money. Um, and that was probably kind of the tipping point where it's no longer my personal money. It's just this; these are all various. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that detachment that all of us eventually experience, while it might sound a little gloomy, is sort of one of the best uh, financial tools to make you money in this game. So, like, there's so many people who I traded with back in the day who I would point at a Snapcaster in their binder or like a Tezra agent of boss or whatever, and they'd say like, "Oh, I don't know, I might use it one." day day eventually i don't know but like for me at the time everything that was not being consistently played every week was just liquid and that's just something that if you want to get into this and want to start trading successfully you need to draw the line in the sand of what your personal collection is make it very relatively small not very small because you need to understand that you're not going to be playing as much as you think you will and then just everything else is uh liquid and i wrote an article about this a while back on mtg price but Basically, the premise is that nothing is sacred. Everything has a number. Everything has a price. If somebody points at a card in your modern deck and they're like, I want to buy that, you have a number. It might be higher than normal, but it's a number. Uh, I just want to chime in real quick to comment that. No uh, one wants me to have my origin story. It's okay. They'll save it for Thor Ragnarok or something. But sure, I mean, go ahead, Travis. Trust fund isn't an exciting story. But allegedly <laughs> the um i will say that you know that that uh detachment you hear from us also comes from like i had played magic for a long time years and years before i got to the point where i got comfortable getting rid of all of my stuff i guess like that right. and that just comes with playing a lot of magic for years and years and kind of like having a period where you're not playing as much so if you're heavily invested in the game it's just, that's harder to do i think we've all emotionally taken steps back not on purpose. It just comes with having played for so long, and you know, play groups. Yeah, I mean, we still have all of our. Thing. It's not that we all just view this as a giant money making machine. I mean, we still have emotional attachment to the game. We still enjoy spoilers and previews coming out. Do we? Um, well, I don't Do know. Not, maybe not all of us, but like, I mean, I don't know. I'd be really surprised if you guys didn't just have like a personal like attachment to a few cards or like something. Like I'm. Maybe I'm naive. But I've got a couple. I've got a couple EDH stuff. decks that I probably won't ever sell. I've got like a few specific like cards in my collection, like a foil set of Therese uh, Nielsen Life from the Loams. I'm never never gonna sell stuff like that. Definitely young and naive. Yep. <laughs> Grandpa Ed over here with the hard hitting knowledge. He didn't fight in Vietnam for you to waste time not selling cards, Doug. Um, I started with a hundred bucks and I got lucky. Um. Legally, your, your parents I, gave you another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Legally, uh, I stopped using my personal funds when I filed for my first LLC, which I recommend everybody do if you're like selling even five, like four figures of magic cards. It's just worth it depending on your state. Um, and then I think all the vendor, like I bring a, a ledger to every single GP and I record every single transaction. Um, 
And like sometimes that can be fun and sometimes it can be a pain in the ass when it's like, oh, I want this $5 card at your booth. It's like, yeah, well, I'm writing this off as a business expense because it is. But so like, sorry that I have to take another minute out of your time to buy a $5 card and have you sign this piece of paper. Um, but yeah, like I like to keep my taxes super clean. Uh, so yeah, I started with a hundred bucks and got lucky and that was pretty much it. Mm, I feel like there's a lot of steps you are neglecting to mention there, but I've talked about it on previous episodes of cartel. Like we went to a yard sale and I had a hundred dollars and I did really well. That was it. <laughs> Everyone has that one event that like you didn't feel bad about it at the time. And it really wasn't something to feel bad about at the time, but you look back and you're like, huh? No, probably took advantage of that guy. No. Cause I had that alpha collection walk in and he wanted like three grand and I ended up paying him like buy list. Yeah. What? Like th- six months ago. I'm talking about that hundred dollar collection you bought at the garage sale. Oh, well she was selling her, uh, spawns collection. Yeah. And wanted it out the door cause they were in college. Right. And I, that was literally how I got into magic was buying that at a yard sale because I knew my friends played. So I just like bought the cards and then we found out what they were worth because I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh before that. <laughs> so this used to be a Yu-Gi-Oh channel, by the way. That's the only reason why we have more subs than a uh, brainstorm brewery on this channel. That do and you like, really? How many do you have? We have 2000 ish. Jeez. I think it's like night. It used to be over 2000. Now it's like 1900 because like people just delete accounts. But yeah, we have more subs than you. You should come back. We have the YouTube game cornered. Uh, I think I made this channel in 2010 or 2011. So yeah, and then I made a bunch of uh, YouTube videos, which are since deleted on this channel, and uh, did a bunch of trades with like the original Magic YouTubers. And like at the time, like a $3,000 binder was a ton of money to have on YouTube. So anyway... Uh Amusingly enough, I one thing I actually remember doing when I first started was every event I was at, uh, whenever I did a trade, this actually stayed like stuck around for a while. Was I would actually take a picture of the trade, or if I buy listed something, I would just like make a little piece of paper and said like this is why buy listed things for. So I have, I've probably since deleted them, but I probably have a flash drive somewhere that has like just pictures of uh, just like literally every single trade I did and oh how well did I do here? I just like look back and think oh. like. Man, that was. If you ever want to feel depressed, depressed, if you ever want to feel depressed, look at your online buy history yeah. from like five yep. years ago. Yeah, Ticey, yeah. PCG player, whatever. I was just gonna say that, like, oh, I bought Judge Hierarchs for forty dollars, like forever ago. Whoops. Are you kidding? That's that's nothing. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. I know, but like, that's that's my personal like best is like, oh, I bought Judge Hierarchs for four or five years ago and then sold them for fifty or whatever. But like, yeah, that would have been a really good pick, Doug. And speaking of picks, we might as well get into pick of the week if you okay. want to go ahead and go first. Oh, is this one of those segments that like we you didn't steal from us? Pick of the week? Yeah, mm-hmm. you guys were definitely the first ones to think of that. Pick of the week, pick of the week, pick of the week. It's just for the pick. That music's trademarked, by the way. Speechless. After having been owned so hard. And Jeremy, that music's look- trademarked. Oh, really? Allegedly. I used to sing that like the first 10 episodes of Cartel for people that have been listening since the beginning. So, Doug, go first. I I was, no, I'm not going to go first. But you used to, for old time's sake. You told him like three times and he's not listening to you. I'll go first because I have to leave for a dinner reservation. Um, 
I mean, all the invocations, masterpieces, stuff worth keeping an eye on for. But if you want something other than that, Gemstone Mine is a card to keep an eye on. Amulet Titan had a pretty good run this past weekend at Hartford. It's kind of been hanging out in the wings. It's not necessarily a bad deck. It seems to have gotten a lot better, uh, at least with the metagame shifts. Gemstone Mine was only in Weatherlight and time, uh, time Shifted. So supply is very low for a modern legal card. There's also a judge promo, but there aren't any left of that card. They're like seven bucks for near mint copies right now. So um, it's a four of land in a combo deck that could become a bigger part of modern pretty easily. Uh, it's a cool, it's a cool deck. It's a very powerful deck. And gemstone mine is kind of a, a very important part of that deck. Uh, you could see $15 on these. So I'm not rushing out to buy them, but if you're trading with people at your local store and you see gemstone mine and their binders, they're worth pulling out. Ed? I could also say another masterpiece, but at the risk of, you know, people saying I'm here for pump and dump or whatever. Well, you are, people. allegedly. Pump and dump is what I was going to do in the hour he's got after the cast is over. Oh my I, God, we're a family-friendly podcast. I think, <laughs> allegedly. Um... Yeah, so masterpieces, keep doing them. Whatever you people do with masterpieces, what? Them and dump them. I, sure, if that makes you happy, then go for it. Um, uh, Galtha Primal Hunger and uh, Just as Sun's Avatar. Um, both these cards go hand in hand. Uh, they seem to be very, very popular pair of commander cards for whatever reason. I think I think people like Jim, you just have kind of the oh big dinosaur effect going with them um they're they both have they're both pretty nifty i think galtha is potentially bordering on the edge of competitive playable yeah um, i think it's on the tail of competitive play what's galtha it's, it's a, the one that costs less it's the mono green one yeah the 12 man 12 12 oh, okay that one yeah it reduces it reduces x by power um uh the other one is strictly just like a large dumb dinosaur i don't even know what it does i just know that it sells ridiculously well geisha uh, there's a comma there's uh, two Nyan legends yeah uh, geisha um the comma okay. is like a little bit more expensive i think that one's a little bit harder to get in even though it might be uh a better card but people seem to like the uh whatever abilities it's like tutor for dinosaur or you know look at the top card amount of cards for dinosaurs some something i have no idea what the card does it's a timmy effect so timmy's like buying it sure great um that card just sells ridiculously well and then and i've actually noticed at gps the um the buy list have steadily crept up on this card but i've noticed that the we were paying five on zakama at the in hartford that seems relatively low for how much it is isn't it like a like ten dollar card or something no i think it's like seven seven i'm pretty sure justin's I'm pretty sure Justin sells on Amazon. I'm pretty sure that card is much, much higher. Allegedly Amazon. sells on Amazon. Uh, yeah, the TCG low is like seven, and I know we're paying five. Okay. Um, I know GSAT is is like relative to how much it is. Um, buys have been creeping up. It's one of those things that it will always sell well. You'll always find people who will want them. The foil multiplier on both of these cards is actually pretty ridiculous. I think GSAT <laughs> is like a $25 foil or something. Um. If you can somehow find those, you can usually find people like dumping like the pre-release foils for relatively cheaply. Um, just picking them up, you'll always be able to flip them. There will always be someone who wants to make a dinosaur deck. Um, 
And I think like I think Golfa is I think it's on the verge of being playable. So just picking up a few of those at its current price is not going to be bad, uh, especially since buy list on it usually teeter at like one point five to two dollars. You can probably squeeze someone for two dollars, and it's basically like a three dollar card. Um, so I don't think you can go wrong there. All right, Doug, hit us with the pick of the week. Uh, I found one. It is Shinka, the blood soaked keep from Champions of Kamigawa. It is a legendary land, and it adds a red, so it's quote-unquote a better mountain other than the fact that it's not basic. Uh, and you pay a red and tap it to give a legendary creature first strike until end of turn. There's not a whole lot of depth to this one. It's not as though um, there's some grand scheme of behind why it might be good in the future. There's like 5% of the total legendary creatures of all time in Dominaria. I think is what the number was, which is crazy. But um, there's a lot of legends of Dominaria. There's a lot of commander decks that are going to be coming out because of Dominaria. Um, and this is just sort of a land that isn't as high as some of its counterparts. Like I know Shizo, uh, Shizo, whatever the black Death one is, is like eight dollars. Um, the Shizo Death Storehouse, Iganjo Castle is like eight dollars. Um, this yep. is on the lower end of. It's not as good as either of those. Um, but it does give your commander first strike. It gives a lot of other cards in your deck first strike. And it's only $3 right now. So I built an Archangel Avison deck recently, and it was just one of those cards where it's good in the deck. If your commander doesn't have first strike, it's usually just a better mountain. Like, or I actually don't play Shizo in my black deck because or, uh, Cabal Coffers and um, new Cabal Coffers just want make you want to play a lot of swamps. But this is just sort of should probably go in every red deck just because it's pretty good and it's been three dollars for a while so it's pretty low buy and if you need one if you play red and e-commander just buy it you can make your zakaba or your gishat have first strike okay uh i'm going to have a negative pick here i'm gonna say do do not pick gilded lotus until it hits a dollar fifty and i'm calling the gilded lotus will hit a dollar fifty at some point there's no chance in the world that card hits a dollar fifty are we going to make a bet dollar fifty low before shipping there's no chance that card hits $1.50. You want to make another bet? Your head's already getting shaved in October. Yeah, we could probably negotiate the terms for another bet. All right. Well, all, listeners, we will, we will talk about this bet and we will get back to you. But I'm saying get rid of Go to Lotus and then pick them up when they're cheap. But your ROI won't be insane since everybody knows to pick up Go to Lotus. So we will see. Um, any any ideas for outcomes on this bet are very yeah. welcome. Yeah, tweet like, at cartel underscore finance on what this bet should be. The current bet, as we had to remind a couple of listeners today, is if Bitcoin does not hit twenty five k by October, Ed has to fly me to Jim's wedding, buy me a suit, and shave his head. Oh, hey, Jim's here. And speaking <laughs> of Jim, Jim just popped on. Hi, Jim. We're yeah. alive. Hey, Jim, uh, you have a pick of the week while we're on this because we need another pick of the week. We've been going for like eighty minutes. Uh, we've been yeah, giving people go. what they need. Well, I'm not actually sure that you would still be going. So yeah. I apologize for being so late. I was just give us a be... pick, Jim. They don't yeah, care. I got to tag out. Thanks for having me, guys. Doug, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rose of Thorns. Uh, my articles come out on TCG Player every Tuesday. I also do some video content there every now and again. Uh, you can find me on Brainstorm Brewery every week. Uh, our cast comes out on Friday or Thursday to the Patreons. Um, well, to some of the Patreons, anyway, the non-poor ones. Um uh i guess that's it nowadays well thanks for coming back you, on no, no, you can find me behind the booth at gp toronto uh, behind 95 mtg booth and probably vegas too and a couple other gps this year so thanks I'll let you busy. it was good to have you back on again man we missed yeah you. thanks for having me guys yep. yeah i missed you too yeah all right jim pick of the week and then we gotta so, end this cast so what did everyone else pick 
I said not Gilded Lotus. Uh, we're, we're sure they have another bet going. He, that's not no, a pick. Jeremy seems to think Gilded Lotus is going to be $1.50 at some point. I... If they're a dollar fifty, I'm gonna buy a lot of them. They're like three dollars pre-order right now, right? Like they can drop oh. to a dollar fifty. I mean, it depends on where you look, but I guess so. All right. Um, anyway, my my pick, pick of the week. week is Seal Away. Uh, it is the white enchantment that has flash that exiles a tap creature. Um, that's as close to Journey to Nowhere as we're gonna get, and it's probably gonna be a, a pretty good card in the upcoming standard. It's very good against pretty much every legendary creature because they all attack and block. Uh, I can't imagine that this is going to be like a braid where it's just like a $3 card that everyone plays at some point in time. So for less than a dollar, I think these are good. All right. Well, uh, this is a good cast. We got a lot in, and this is a lot longer than what our listeners don't pay for in the first place. So I feel like we delivered on value this week if you're all about EV. Uh, plus, you got to hear everyone's origin stories except for Jim, which is too long to tell on this podcast. Uh, you can find Travis at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter. He is also on MTG Fast Finance, and he writes for MTGPrice.com. Uh, if you want his hot takes on what Magic players should wear to events, I would definitely recommend contacting him there. Uh, if you want to find Ed, he is Edwin13 on Twitter, and you should tweet at him because people don't know what he looks like at GPs. And he has a pretty recognizable face, so I don't know why. Anything else to add on, on your front? No. Okay. And uh, you can find Jim at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore, where uh, hopefully the lightning come back. Anything you want to add, Jim? Um, sorry for not being here for the beginning of the cast, but I think this still counts. Uh, if you have any questions, you could always send them to me on Twitter. Sorry for not being here the entire cast. Okay. I'm Jeremy. I got here for pick of the week. That's like the most important. You know, part. we had a lovely discussion cast this entire time without you, Jim, allegedly, and then uh, then you came on and started yelling at people. So I didn't yell at anyone. I was just gonna tell you that I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will probably be at GP Beijing into GP Toronto into GP Birmingham into not GP DC. So Ed and I will be traveling around the the world probably. Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us on Twitter at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us uh, on SoundCloud, Gathering Magic, and of course YouTube, where we still have more subs than Brainstorm Brewery for some reason. Uh, we don't charge for this content, so we appreciate everything. If you guys want uh, terms for the bet, tweet at us, message us on Facebook. We uh, we get back to you pretty fast. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one, and stay tuned for next week. Bye.